This episode of Armchair Explorer is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. With seven drive modes, the Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. And epic journeys is what we're all about. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Hey, welcome to the Armchair Explorer, where the world's greatest travel writers and adventurers tell their absolute best stories from the road. My name's Aaron Miller. I'm a travel writer myself. And today we have an absolutely terrifying story of great white sharks. And it starts with one of the most horrific shark attacks I have ever heard of. Get prepared to hold on to your seat. Today we have a cracker of a guest. James Stewart is one of my favorite, favorite travel writers. He's a British writer. He works for the Sunday Times and the Financial Times and tons of different papers and newspapers and magazines all over the world. He writes beautifully and he has an absolute terrifying tale for us today. And it starts dozens of feet under the water with a man named Rodney Fox who as it turns out, as James will tell you in the story later on, becomes the inspiration for Jaws. That's right, the inspiration for one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. It still makes me scared, even when I'm in a swimming pool, let alone in the ocean. And what's just about to happen may make you not want to go into the ocean ever again. Get ready. So this story begins uh, in 1963 when there was a young insurance salesman in his early 20s called Rodney Fox. Um, He was the South Australian spearfishing champion and he was trying to defend his title uh, off Adelaide. So he was underwater um, with a group of other guys and he was about 20 foot down and he spied this big grouper down there. And so he's sighting it up, and just before he's about to shoot, he feels this incredible force smash into his side. And he's being propelled through the water. He has no idea what is going on at all. He's been propelled sideways through the water. And he said there's this vice-like grip, which is just crushing him, absolutely crushing him. And he said it was like being in the, in the mouth of a dog, just being shaken. Um, he realised it was a shark. And it's clamped him round the middle from his waist right up to his shoulder. Started hitting the thing as hard as he could, pushing it, punching it, slamming it. Ended up just hitting it in its eyes. Uh, And it let go and he pushed himself out um, and ended up hanging onto its back. Which I said to him, look, that was incredible uh, incredible foresight really to do that. He said there was no thinking whatsoever. It was beyond thought. Um, But obviously he couldn't be bitten there. But you do run out of breath hanging onto the back of a shark. So he kicks to the surface. And he's there on the surface now, gasping for breath. There's blood everywhere. Uh, he looks down, and he said the most terrifying moment of all then, of this whole experience, because up until that point, it would just be pure adrenaline and instinct and just and fear. And the worst moment he said was when he looked down and he saw this shark and it was coming up at him directly from underneath with its mouth open. Terrifying. I mean, just astonishingly white, white fear. Okay, this is, this is the part that really gives me chills because I can imagine that. That's the scary part. It's, it's not so much the being under the water with the sharks. It's the being on the surface 
and knowing that the great white shark is somewhere, somewhere in that darkness, that depth of water underneath you, and you can't quite see it yet. And I just want you to to think about that. Think about being on that surface of that water, the panic in your body. You can start to feel the pain. You've been attacked. You've been ripped in half. Your body is trembling. You're vulnerable. You're looking down, but you can't quite see what's beneath you. But you know that there is a shark, a monster of the deep, a great white 20 foot shark somewhere underneath you. It's taken a bite out of you, but it hasn't finished its dinner quite yet. And then you look down and in the depths of that dark black water, you see an enormous white shape, jaws open, teeth sharp and serrated, steaming up from the depths of that blackness, the depths of that ocean, steaming up an ancient prehistoric monster ready to swallow you whole. This is death coming. This is the moment. These are the last seconds of your life. But Rodney didn't give up. So he kicked out a flipper at it. And the shark swerved. And when you're spearfishing, you have a floating box, which you collect all your catch into. uh, And it's attached to you by a rope. So it floats on the surface. Everything you catch goes into this on the allotted hour or so that you have the spearfishing championship. So he kicked a flipper at it. The shark swerved. It swallows this box. Fine, he's safe, you think. No, because the shark there now dives. And it dives underwater, chewing this box full of fish. But of course, Rodney's attached to this box full of fish, so he gets yanked underwater after this massive, horrific shark bite, and he's now being dragged down deeper and deeper and deeper underwater. Um, And he did say, he thought, after all this, I'm going to drown. I mean, what a crazy way to die. As the shark is biting on the box, trying to chew it, it bites with the rope. Rodney drifts up to the surface, like a leaf, he said, like a leaf falling downwards but going up. Um, And he's picked up by a boat and he's taken to hospital. Uh, Now, he was moments from dying, absolutely, you know, his veins were literally on the verge of collapsing. But as luck would have it, there was a surgeon who was just back from a conference on how to keep veins open for traumatised patients um, and so he thought look this guy's going to die in 5-10 minutes let's give this a go so he did, it worked Rodney's still alive and he survived, it was a major press sensation at the time then you might wonder what would you do after that if you actually survived one of the most terrific great white shark attacks of all time what would you do, I know what I would do I would never go back into the ocean again. And if I did, it would maybe be some calm, shallow Caribbean sea. I would certainly never go back to the place of the attack. But Rodney didn't do that. Rodney didn't decide to never go into the ocean again. In fact, he did the opposite. He not only went back into the ocean himself, but he ended up bringing thousands and thousands of people back with him. Not for a swim, not for a nice little dip, but to go back and see those sharks, the same sharks that nearly killed him, up close. But he did it in a completely new way that no one had ever done it before. And it completely changed the way that we see sharks and the ocean and marine conservation in general. 
So this is sort of where the story gets quite interesting for me because Rodney loved um, being in the water. He loved swimming. Uh, and he wanted to try and understand why the shark had attacked him. So um, he was in the zoo with his child, uh, and they were feeding the lions, and he had this epiphany moment. What happens if we are in the cage, and then the lions are outside? So as a result of that, he invented cage diving. No one had even thought of it before. Now, as soon as you have cage diving, then you can now get into the water with great whites for the first time ever. This is in, you know, early... No, mid-60s by now. So it's a revolutionary moment. Uh, now, look, no-one had ever been in the water with great whites before. It was just considered far, far too dangerous. So as a result of that, Rodney got a call from this guy called Steven Spielberg, who was making this film called Jaws, and he needed some footage of live sharks. Rodney ended up having to try and use a lipstick to do three bullet mark, three bullet holes on uh, a, sh- a live shark snout as it came out of the water to replicate, um, yeah, to replicate bullets. Um, actually, Spielberg complained about that. He said, "Look, I needed four shots. You only got me three. When a shark's snapping at your hand, I, I sort of guess those are fairly, fairly low down your priority list." This episode of Armchair Explorer is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. And Pathfinder, that's a pretty cool name, isn't it? Because that's also what this show is all about. Exploring, getting off trail, having adventures, finding your own path and living life to the fullest. Sound like you? Yep, sounds like me too. Which is why I'm so excited to partner with Nissan. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has seven drive modes, available intelligent 4x4. It's got the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds. So go ahead and bring all that gear with you and lots more. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder, a vehicle built for adventures everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Jaws was a huge hit. The fact that I'm still terrified if I'm swimming in a pool and and accidentally hum that theme tune in my head. dun 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 I mean, you only need to do that by accident in a public pool and you'll start to panic if you're me anyway. But Jaws was a huge hit. It was a worldwide blockbuster and it completely changed Rodney's life because suddenly the uh, sport of cage diving, which he had invented, became a big deal. And people from all over the world wanted to come and experience and see this monster of the deep up close and personal. And that is also where James comes into this story. I come to meet Rodney on the 40th anniversary of Jaws, and I was going to join him on one of his scientific research trips out to the Neptune Islands. Uh, Every trip that Rodney runs now is for tourists, but everyone is also involved for scientific research, usually shark identification to the Neptune Islands. 
And they're a clump of rocks about in the Great Australian Bight, about 30 miles uh, offshore from Port Lincoln. The Neptune Islands, to give you some background, well, you've heard of the movie Sharknado. The Neptune Islands are like that. This is prime cruising ground, prime real estate for some of the biggest great white sharks on the planet. And that is where James is headed. But this wasn't just any old cage diving. Most cage dives drop you just a few feet under the water. Rodney's trips take you all the way down to the bottom of the ocean floor. Sharks attack on the surface. So the idea is by taking you down underwater, you're seeing the environment the sharks just live in. This is where they cruise around. For amongst many divers, they know it as the Everest of shark diving, or as Andrew Fox, uh, Rodney's son, who is mid-50s probably, he's done 40-plus years of cage diving now. Astonishing with great whites. Uh, He called it out of the kiddie pool. Uh, So you stay for three nights on their small boat, and I know what you're thinking. I know you're probably thinking cage diving ethically that suspect with the Rodney Fox trips everything is gold standard for conservation there is no chumming of water they put down some fish and that creates an oil slick which brings the sharks there the idea is that the only thing that will attract the sharks are products which are already in the water so it's a fairly rough crossing and you bounce away and people were being sick uh, and it's a big... It's the next, almost the next stop south from Australia there is the Antarctic. The Southern Ocean is a fairly brutal sea. So big, long swells, and you roll out, slamming against the sea, uh, a lot of spray. And it's a fairly small boat at about 70, 80 foot. And so you arrive, the anchor chain rattles down. The sea is an astonishing colour. It's this deep sapphire. Um... And they drop some some of the fish in the water. The tuna goes in the water, and so there's an oil slick of fish, and oil just blobs scudding out across the water. Six millimeter wetsuits on. You put on boots. You put on gloves. Uh, balaclavas. You prepare the scuba tanks, and you wait. And then after a while, a few hours you see these shadows start to appear in the water. And they really are just shadows, and they're sort of cruising through this astonishingly blue water. And they sort of come closer and closer and start circling the boat, and there's more and more of them. And it starts off with uh, maybe one or two, and then by the time we were ready to go, there were seven. Now, at this point in the story, I must admit I'm sweating a bit. I imagine being on that boat. Imagine looking around on the water, the depth of that water and knowing that underneath there aren't just one or two little sharks. They're the most enormous predatory sharks on the planet, 20 foot long, two and a half ton, the size of a bus swimming around underneath you, circling the boat. Just picture what that feels like to be getting ready, to be putting on your wetsuit, to see those shadows forming underneath the waves and know that is where you are going. You are going all the way down to the ocean floor where it is filled with the largest great white sharks on the planet. 
and you're going in. So it's crunch time, finally. Um, and you climb into the cage. Now, the cage is slung outside the boat. Uh, there is a box at the bottom of the cage which is loaded up with tuna guts um, and gills and various bits and pieces which are not pretty at all. And you climb into the cage and there's yourself. Uh, I was with two other divers and then there is a dive master um, who's been there for a long time. In my case, it was Andrew Fox, Rodney's son. So... They swing the cage out on this arm and you're now dangling over the sea with the sharks literally beneath you. And they start lowering it into the water on this wire. Oh my God, this is my biggest fear. It's it's like some kind of James Bond villain elaborate death scene being dangled in a cage over a shark infested water i've been in places before where i've thought what am i doing here how did i end up here and i can only imagine how james feels in that moment to be dangling over shark infested water thinking that is where i'm about to go I have to be honest, everything starts screaming in your head. This cannot be a good idea, even though you know you're in a cage. Because that cold water comes over your feet as you're lowering into the water, and then it comes up your legs, and it seeps up over your torso, then over your chest, and then it covers your face, and you're dropping down. And then you can just see all the sharks there above you, and as you're falling down through the water, they just come over the top of you and it's these white bellies ghost white bellies coming over through the sort of almost splintered sunshine coming down through the water and you're dropping further and further deeper and deeper down and these bellies white bellies are just cruising slowly down with you following that scent trail all the way down until you're about 80 foot down and even though even though you know it's irrational You'd, you'd know it's an irrational fear. Uh, it's what um, the author of Jaws, Peter Bletchley, called uh, the atavistic fear of being eaten. It is there, that, that fear. You just you can't escape it. And it's almost like being in there as you're dropping down underwater with these sharks following you down and following the scent of that uh, tuna blood. It almost strips it, strips you back to yourself. Because as you're going down and you're sort of steadying your breathing, because you tend to breathe quite quickly, and you're rechecking your air supply, even though you know it's okay, there's all these what-ifs that just come thumping into your head. You know, what happens if my air runs out? Or what happens if a small shark comes thumping through that, lunging through the, the gap, the eye-level gap which you look through between the bars? Or then the worst of all, oh my God, what happens if the cage hoist, the cable itself actually snaps and there's no way for the cage to come back up? As soon as you are down there, now 80, 90 foot below the water, and with the boat just above you, which is looking like a tiny little bath toy, it's that far, then you get all these suppressed fears just come bubbling up. And you're just going to have to deal with them because... There is no escape. We now have seven sharks around you, and there is no way in God's earth you could pay me enough money to try attempt getting out of this cage and then swimming back to the surface. It's just not going to happen. Strips you back 
to yourself. I love the way that James describes that. It strips you back to yourself, a fear so profound, it just rips away all the politeness and all the conventions and all the society and all the rubbish and just leaves you with that animal inside you, that animal instinct, and that's all that is left. And then you're there hanging above a kelp forest and finally the sharks are coming up towards you and they're at eye level. And one was, the first one that came past was about a metre away and it just cruised past right at eye level. And you can see this huge black eye watching me, watching it. And you can see the mouth just slightly open. And you can see these crossed, big cross-hatched teeth. And it's crazy. And you know you're okay. But your breathing goes crazy. I mean, your breathing goes fast and you have to slow yourself down. You know, because you can't, otherwise you'll burn through oxygen. And so you're trying to say, calm, zen, this is all right. Um, Before we went down, Andrew had said, look out for rays and squid. And, And you can't, you know, you just can't take your eyes off the sharks. Huge, powerful shapes, about 15, 15 foot long, 15, 20 foot long. They are big. They are big. Um... It's an incredible experience. There was one point where Andrew was out of the cage, uh, which he did a lot, actually. Um, And there was a shark coming straight at him as I was watching. Now, when you're wearing a mask, you don't really have any peripheral vision. You just can't see out there at all. It blocks it off. Um, And so I thought, oh, my God, do I need to tell Andrew there's a great white shark coming straight at him? And he's there taking photographs of things. And this shark came right up to him, and he just gave a little push push on its nose and pushed it away. I mean, that, my friends, is comfort with sharks. And the strange thing is that as you're underwater, um, initially it feels terrifying, and then it's just utterly fascinating. It is, they are the most mesmerising animals. Um, there's an immense power there but there's just an incredible beauty as well the the colors are astonishing they're a sort of gunmetal gray and there's a almost a a sort of steely silver and occasional bronze and the shape is just fantastic you just you just realize the the hydrodynamics of these animals is astonishing um and they've got this sort of slow effortless power of just swimming through the water and we're there at the bottom with kelp swirling around us it's it was it sounds ridiculous, but it was an incredibly beautiful moment, and it was almost zen and calm. Um, my initial reaction was to go down with a GoPro, and I just thought, no, I really do not want to think about filming. I just want to be down here and just watch it and take it in. And I'm so glad I did, because instead of just looking there through a GoPro, I, honestly, the experience is seared into my brain. on the surface back on the boat you go through footage that uh, Andrew had taken during the trips underwater and you're starting identifying the sharks and he will talk through oh look there's Bubbles lovely shark very smiley there's Merlin he's very curious 
And there's Cuddles. No kidding. One of the sharks was called Cuddles. And everyone on board that boat calls themselves uh, a shark hugger. They honestly believe that sharks are the most incredible things, the most incredible species. And it's a strange thing, but having been underwater with them, your perception of them changes entirely. Um, Andrew told me at one point that when he did an expedition in the 80s, he had returned to see a large great white hanging off this crane at the wharf. Uh, and he said they hadn't just killed a shark, they'd killed Bentfin, I think its name was. And it was a shark that Andrew had known for several years, you know, and had seen it just days beforehand. Um, and all the fishermen were there, you know, drinking a beer and acting heroes. And for him, it was just horrific, you know. It was, he felt that this was a friend. And he said he, it really came home to him then that they had an obligation to champion the protection of these animals. And it was so true. Being underwater with them totally changes your perception. They stop becoming these, you know, these rabid killers, these crazy killers. Um, they become astonishing animals. They become apex predators. They become the equivalent of lions of the sea. They're still powerful, potentially dangerous animals. They're no puppies. They will, or could, bite you in two. But this is a species that has been an apex predator and has survived 400 million years of evolution. And rightly or wrongly, what does it say that they're so able to be struck down by humans in less than 100 years? For me, that says that the seas are an incredibly fragile place that sharks have an, an amazing job within that and that humans do a fantastic job of messing it all up and that we've got an absolute responsibility to the sharks and we've got a responsibility to the seas. And I think seeing them in that environment makes you realise that. I think that's what's most interesting about it. Um, Peter Bletchley talked about the atavistic fear of being eaten. Sharks are the only animals left on the planet which sort of puts you straight back into a time of dinosaurs where you are prey. And seeing them in a situation as you would a lion on a safari turns it into something else. You realise there's a sort of strange, almost awe-inspiring beauty to these animals. And it feels an amazing privilege to be with them. And really... That's the bit that Spielberg should have included in Jaws. And that's the thing. Jaws has a lot to answer for. Jaws has given us an impression of the great whites as these killers, these monsters. But really, however scary they are, however big their teeth and dead cold black their eyes may be, they are also beautiful. They are also a part of our beautiful oceans, a crucial part and if you look at them hard enough, if you go down to their level, if you go down to where they live, you will see that far from being monsters of the deep, they're actually one of the most beautiful creatures on this earth. thanks to James Stewart for that story it's one of my favourite stories from this season James is just an 
awesome writer and an amazing traveler. He's passionate about marine conservation and that comes through in all of his work and I'm very honored to have him on his show. If you want to find out more about cage diving with Rodney's group and uh, doing it in an ethically and sustainable uh, way, then please go to the website armchair-explorer.com Uh, You can find out all the information you need to book this trip for real. And you can also find out loads more stuff about James and other stuff he's up to. Um, And you can see some pictures from the trip too, if you dare. That's about all we got time for. Thanks again so much uh, for listening. It's always such a pleasure and an honor to share these stories with you. And I hope that you'll continue to explore the world with us. Uh, Once again, thank you to Sweet Chap, my man, Mike Kumber. LID for providing the original music for this. You can find out more about that hymn and his music in the show notes. My name's Aaron Miller. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Please come back and see us. Please share some more adventures with us because remember, the more that you look for wonder in the world, the more the wonder of the world becomes a part of who you are. Explore, dream, and feed your spirit well. Thank you. Thank you.